Hey, Kevin. Hey, you guys. How you doing? We're lined up. Yeah. Any way to get that off, you know, we won't watch, you know. You know, I just want to say thank you so much to the kids. What a great job they did. Wonderful, isn't it? Thank you, parents. Thank you so much for all you have attended. I want to share with you, we're going through Christmas through the eyes, through the eyes of Taylor here. No, um, Christmas through the eyes of We've talked about a bunch of different things. We've talked about this whole idea of the unexpected, this fact that, that there's interruptions. We saw that with Mary and Joseph. We talked about the sense of wonder, creation, all these animals that are on the crash. And we have then uh, this continued um, work that Lynn Kotoski has done that I'm just really grateful for. And so would you just show kind of that update real quick? saw last week, and so this week, as we look through the eyes of power, yeah, you, you can give Lynn a hand. Thank you, Lynn. If you want to get a closer look, you can see there's, you have the city of Jerusalem off here, Wiseman, um, and then you see King Herod, in a sense, is off in that area as we talk about power. So I just have to um, have you ask a question for a moment. You saw a bunch of these little preschoolers up here, right? Pretty young. Think of a child under two years of age. How many of you are threatened, intimidated by a little baby? How many of you are afraid that you're going to lose your job? How many of you are afraid that somehow that child is going to hurt you? There's all kinds of thoughts around that, but um, that's what we're going to ask today. That's the the primary question that we're asking, and is why is it that um, through the eyes of power, Herod reacted and responded the way we do. What does it look like when we think of worldly power and we see the way that that ends up um, manifesting itself? And so I'm really excited to answer that question of a really good friend of mine, a person who I think highly of, um, that he is just, um, I, I say before that he's one of the smartest guys I know. Um, that's next to Tom Frankie, who was here last week and shared... Um, but I will say he is one of these guys, and for those of you in person as well as uh, maybe in our online congregation who don't know Peter, I'll just give you a little bit of his background. And Peter, um, where are you? Your mom sent these slides, so, uh, so I'm really excited about it. So first of all, guess, Peter grew up at Wyzetta Free, and so if you kind of show some of these slides, if you would, um, you can just see that he actually participated in one of these Christmas programs. And he, and, uh, he met his wife, Hallie, here. And Hallie and him were married here at Wyzetta Free. There's a picture of him. Um, should be in a tux. Uh, now you know why Hallie was attracted to this guy, right? 
And he met through Sun City, an incredible program that this church had for many of the people in our church who were a part of that years ago. He has a PhD from University of Edinburgh, and um, you can just see uh, one of the reasons, I mean, he's in his kilt and his gillies. Doesn't he look great? And then he's professor of Bethel University and seminary. You can come up, Peter, if you want. Northwestern University. And here's something people don't know. He won the American Bible Society for Excellence in Teaching. Yes, no, this is honest truth. One, one last thing, one last thing. For those of you who don't know Peter, I just got to, he, he is also uh, a morning guest host of, of Faith Radio, KTS 900. So you'll want to catch him there. One last, one last thing. Because you, you want, you know, just by, by you, looking either. at Peter, you. by looking at Peter, yeah. you, you wouldn't probably realize because of his intellect and everything else, but he, <laughs> the loose clothing he wears hides his, his physical, um, his physique because he's also. These are guns, baby. They these are, are guns. Are he guns, is yeah. also an amazing athlete. This is the honest <laughs> truth. Recruited out of high school for baseball, was in the Division Three College World Series played basketball and track. I mean, so what else don't you, what, yeah, I what mean, don't you do? You are, you are genuinely the worst human being I've ever yeah. met. <laughs> like, and I'm not sure it's close. Okay, I'm not wait, sure wait. it's close. And then, I, don't, I honestly don't know any of this The last thing here is something about a loving husband. <laughs> I can't read what else you wrote here for me. <laughs> so... Anyway, I, I should get my glasses on, but Peter, I'm sorry, but that last part will let go. Hey, yeah. thanks for being here. <laughs> it is great. That, I mean, whatever else you and I are going to do up here today, what happened those la- that last half an hour was, was just off the hook. Special, I mean, it was just it? fabulous that those kids I absolutely loved it. And I want to say, um, with my long association here, my own three of my five kids were here this last weekend for as our, part of the lock-in. lock-in. Yeah, yeah, which is like lock-in. some weird Christian twisted version yeah. of the escape room or something like that. But, um, <laughs> but it, they had a great they had the great whole time. Yeah, they tried to kill him with sugar, and like it was yeah. great. But you know they got what? out. You know, we think a lot of times these are adult initiated um, kind of activities. Right. These were from the students that we want to lock in, and so now we had to recruit adults to stay here with them. So that that <laughs> yeah. was the that was great. The that job great. on that. So thanks for saying that. Yeah. I. This is what we're, we we've only got a little bit of time. Right. So I want to kind of move into this message. It's really around Matthew two. We're not going to exegete all of it except for the fact that there's a there's a contrast here of power and vulnerability here's this king herod and a baby and so i just wanted to ask you peter as we kind of go through this um why is herod so bent out of shape what what is it that causes even in our day-to-day um people to do crazy things for power yeah, it is interesting when you look at his background. Um, he, he arose and ascended to power basically on the back of his father, who is a guy by the name of Herod Antipater, and, and he was a mover and shaker among so many of the political and social powers of the day. He, he ran in circles with people like Mark Antony and Julius Caesar and Cleopatra. And from that, Herod, his son, who is Herod the Great, that's, that's so central to the story in Matthew 2, really rose to power as the governor of Judea. And, uh, and he wielded it. It's intoxicating. When you yep. get a bit of power, it's intoxicating, Kevin. I, I think anybody who's, who's tasted or, or breathed in a bit of that power, which basically means that you have the ability to enact your own desires. Right. Right? And so when, when you have that power to enact your own desires, that's not something that you're going to readily or easily give up. So when we talk about that, we're going to see how in a, in a moment, too, we're all kind of going, yeah, those people who are thirsty for power, 
Reality is every person here by God has been given a realm of power and we're all in a sense thirsty for it. So we're going to hopefully as we talk about it, we'll kind of get into it. Just to set the story, Matthew 2, you have this picture of these guys coming from the east. They're out of the east. They, they arrive in Jerusalem. They're called magi and, and that is a kind of a, a term that was used in the days of the Medo-Persian uh, realm and empire. It started in the 6th century, became a, a place of great power around 500 or so. Uh, some of you who are in touch with Bible stories, Cyrus was one person who had a great amount of power at that time. And, and so these people are coming from Persia or what would be called modern day Iran. And as Magi, uh, you kind of think they're wizards or something like that. They're not. Wait, that was the first time I've ever heard a shout out to Iran before. That was like <laughs> genuinely Paige, you must be in the room. There, thank you, right there. I wasn't yes. sure what it was. <laughs> that was truly I, I remarkable. Where that was coming yeah, from. I know. I just heard this. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Thanks, Paige. Yeah, we appreciate that. <laughs> where was I? Like the narrator sorry, yeah, it was stuff. Magi in Iran, and yeah, and okay, I loved yeah. in that in that little yeah. kids program today. How many times did I'm not going to lie? <laughs> Which was, you know, you kind of look at Jesus. This is very, very truly and truly. He's basically saying, I'm not going to lie. This is the bottom line truth. Anyway, back to this story. Um, Okay. So they're coming from um, Persia, modern day Iran. They're magi, which really they were astronomers slash astrologers, philosophers. They were the special consul to the king and his court. They were in, if you go back to the book of Daniel, he was the chief magi. So you have this guy who is coming to him. And what people don't understand is that when like Babylon conquered um, this, this land of Israel, they took the brightest and best back to their land. They also took their library because they wanted to intellectually bankrupt and also in a sense take away the leadership so there would be no more rebellions in any of these places they conquered. And so they bring them back. They're, they're having that scripture. So, so Daniel has the Bible there. Years later, when Jesus is born, they have all kinds of records of prophetic things. They're coming upon it. And as we read here, in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star rise. And we have come to worship him. And, and note, it's his star, not the star of Bethlehem. It was a star, prophetically, that pointed to a ruler who would come. And here's the gut punch for Herod. They came all this way not to see Herod the Great. Mm. They came looking for a king, which could potentially cause a threat to Herod. So, here they come, these wealthy people. It says in Matthew chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, when the word of their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified. The Greek word terrasso is not like in the NIV, this idea that he was disturbed, or in the ESV that says he was, um, I think, troubled. It's, it's the idea he was, he was shook to the core. He felt terror in his inner being. He had, as we would say in a modern day, a panic attack. And it says, and not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well, because they were afraid of Herod being afraid. Herod would go into, as you had said, right. with his thirst for power, anytime he felt threatened, he would go in and, and wipe out entire villages if there was any sense 
of, of being disruptive to his kingdom. And so here's Herod. People are afraid. Uh, most is Jerusalem as well. And he gathered all the high priests and religious scholars in the city together and asked, where is this Messiah, Messiah supposed to be born? They look it up. They say Bethlehem. And so then Herod, this scared-to-death guy, says to the wise men, go ahead now, tell me about when the star came. I'm going to calculate that out, and let's figure out um, where this king is. When you find out who this little baby king is, I am so excited to go and worship him. Let me know, and I'll do that. So Peter, there we are. What is the threat of Herod? What, what's going on here? Yeah, I, I think you outlined it really well, right? I mean, this is this is the he's facing a tremendous threat to his power that he doesn't know what to do with, right? Mm-hmm. And, and power is such a understandable trap, I think, that we fall into because once you have some kind of capacity or some kind of ability to enact your own desires, so again, the definition of power is your ability to enact your own sense of desires. Once you have that, mm-hmm. you're not going to want to give that up. Right, and, and he has it on massive steroids. Right. Obviously, he's the ruler of the. Uh, what he says goes, and when he opens his mouth, stuff happens. And yeah. who doesn't want to have that kind of power? It's an incredible trap on a yeah. number of levels, and, and it really causes all kinds of havoc in the world right. around us. So he's not going to give that up. Okay, so here's the threat: there's a new king with a new kingdom he's going to establish, and there's a new vision of power that comes with this king. You want to share a little bit about that aspect of it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot we could say about this, uh, Kevin. I'll read from a, a book in just a little bit, maybe not right at this moment, but God's kingdom functions on such a different level than the kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms of this world, including our own kingdom of America, which I do genuinely love. I love the country in which we live. Um, I think we have to also be clear-eyed about the country in which we live, but also any of the countries of this world, is that those countries are operating within the kind of paradigm I've suggested, which is to what ability do you have to enact your power? Mm-hmm. And, and that, that is the primary value of most of the countries of the world, both now and in the past. And in this one kingdom, this is the only kingdom where the, this gets overturned and it's turned upside down. Mm-hmm. And, and in this kingdom, it's actually whatever power you have you're not meant to try to hang on to or to grow or to enact on your own. You're meant to give all of that power up for the sake of the well-being of another person. And, and, and this is the heartbeat of love, Kevin. I mean, God's kingdom is supposed to be permeated uh, by love. And love is defined by an other-centered desire to, to see another person made whole, meaning that I will, whatever resources I have, whatever I've been given, whatever power I may have, I'm going to use it on behalf of you not to enact my own personal desires. Okay. So it's an entirely different kingdom. And I think sometimes when we think about Christianity and America or Christianity and fill in the blank of the country, you see them almost standing side by side with one another, trying to interact with one another, and they couldn't be further apart. So, so the last part of this is even in that time, those early believers who ended up following this newborn king who, who came into a manger, thus, you know, the God, the inexhaustible God of the universe, as we just saw in this great play, right. became this, this little baby and put himself in the hands of, of Mary and Joseph. And when, when we see that kind of kingdom, what's going to be birthed out of that isn't the kind of kingdom that can transform Rome. It lives within Rome and calls Rome to itself. It's right. not meant to try to change Rome because Rome's going to fail. All right. kingdoms rise and fall. But so it's never meant to try to transform Rome. It's meant to live a different way of life that the people of Rome would then come to it. And we see that much later. So I got a lot of story. thoughts. I'm going to kind of go off yeah. script a little bit and, and just off say, script. Oh gosh, yeah. this is exciting. Be ready. Yeah. You, you need to prove you're the brightest guy I know. 
no, it's not. Yeah. So as I, as I think about that, one, just a thought comes to me about the idea that here is God coming to a rebellious people. And his first step isn't to kind of throw a lightning and, yeah. and, and just with his word kill everybody. His first step into this world, into this rebellious group of people who say, I have my power and I'm going to run my life the way I want it. I'm going to run my company the way I want it. I'm going to run my family the way I want it. I'm going to run my whatever business. I'm going to run this nation the way we want it kind of thing. And he steps in as this helpless, vulnerable, um, totally dependent, innocent baby. Right. That's his first step. It is. Uh, and, and that first step, as we've been talking about, it sets the foundation for, for what you are trying to describe this morning, and I think so well, is that um, we have to operate on a different kind of level in our relationship to power. And I don't know what's been like for you, Kevin, or all of you as well. You know, sometimes I, I hear things about kingdom life, and, and it's so disruptive, but I'm guilty of just sort of walking past it with a wink and a nod and say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. And then I just go back to my regular life, whatever regular life is, the next day with that wink and the nod. But but when you start reading of the kingdom of Jesus inaugurated by the birth of this baby, it is so it can be so disruptive right. in a beautiful way. And so it I, is disruptive. It is. I mean, it, and that's because God comes with this incredible sense of knowing who He is. Right. Kind of where he's going, what he's going to do, and doing it in such a way that's for the well-being of all. Yeah, and so I, out of this book, it's called uh, "Following the Call," which I highly recommend as uh, if you want to get into the discipleship journey of what life is like in the kingdom. It's a guy by the name of Charles Moore. I had a chance to chat with him on the radio this week, and he was off the air every bit of who he was on the air, and he compiled from across time and and culture and history a series of writings from men and women of faith that um, really do talk about the disruptive life of the kingdom that enables us as a people to grow through the power of the Spirit in love and disrupt the Rome of the day in in a different kind of way, but it requires a a relationship with power that's different. So he writes this, Kevin, and then I'll read this. I might embarrass you. You haven't embarrassed me at all this morning, so I won't return the favor in just a minute. Um, But he writes, this is from uh, Eberhard Arnold was the the author. It says, only God is mighty. We are completely powerless. Even for the work that has been given to us as believers, we are wholly without power. We cannot fit even one single stone into the church community ourselves. We can provide no protection whatsoever for the community when it has been built up. We cannot even devote anything to the cause by our own power. We, actually are completely without power. But that's why I believe it's this only reason that God has called us for a service, because we are powerless. And last part here, it's hard to describe how all of our own power must be stripped off of us how our own power must be dropped and dismantled, torn away and put away. It's not so easily attained, does not happen through a single heroic decision. It must be done in us by God. But if a little power of our own was to rise up among us, the spirit and the authority of God would retreat in the same manner and to the same corresponding degree. And I think about that last statement. If a little power of our own, as we're trying to do this kingdom life, in the midst of the realm of our day, if a little power tries to rise up in us independent of the power of the Spirit residing within us, when we start doing things on our own to persuade and control and manipulate and use our power to do these things, God's Spirit begins to retreat. And, and Kevin, after, I mean, we've been friends for how many years? I don't know, 20, 15, yeah. 10, somewhere, a long time, a long time. Um, 
as a person who's within Christendom in our country, meaning that I, that I operate within all of sort of the organizational Christian life of the day on a lot of different levels. One of the things that I think we can safely say is that it's changing substantially Mm -hmm. in the way we gather together and why we gather together. And and part of what we're experiencing right now is sort of the death of the megachurch, the death of these big businesses that are sort of masquerading as churches. Um, and, and the reason why I would suggest that is, is when you get behind the scenes, so often there's this subtle switch of, well, we're doing the thing of the kingdom, but then we bring all kinds of marketing ploys into play, or we bring kind of persuasive means into play, or we try to create products so that the church shoppers will like coming to church and give to the budget, and then we grow and we call it blessed, and all of this stuff. And I've seen one after another after another, after another of those kinds of ministries beginning to fall. And it's because God just begins to retreat. He's like, no, it looks like you got this. You're fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're fine. And, and, and here's what I would embarrass you, but I, but I hope um, in a joyful kind of way is over all these years in, in the quietness of our conversations over coffee and over dinner and um, maybe in the quietness of our homes uh, over the phone or whatever it happens to be, the, the thing that, uh, and it's, it's the reason why I love to sit here with you, is I've seen you be tempted by that kind of power because God has has put stuff on your heart related to the city, related to calling people out of Rome and into kingdom life. I, I know the passion with which you carry yourself. And from that passion, there's this temptation to want to start enacting because mm-hmm. God's way too slow with stuff. You know, God doesn't know what he's doing. We'll do it ourselves, right? That's right. But but I've also... <laughs> Abraham learned that lesson. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, exactly. Yeah, the whole Hagar thing didn't work out great. Yeah, um, no. And so... Not really. But, but, but I've also watched you simultaneously, and, and again, in the quietness of your own decision-making where people weren't there to observe, say, but I will... I will not walk down that path, and I will trust God's spirit um, for whatever is to come, uh, independent of what my desires are, because I believe that the wholeness available in his kingdom that only his spirit can provide um, is what I would long for. So you didn't sacrifice things at the altar of trying to create something huge through human marketing means, which is why, again, the megachurch is all dying off, but a new wineskin is coming. Uh, a new people are, are being called up. And I, I saw them this morning. They stood right here. And I saw these, and I just I just almost began to cry during a way in a manger. And I'm a bit of a sap, but I almost did. Because I just thought, oh, these beautiful young people, oh, you, you, you just see this eternal kingdom um, that'll, that'll keep um, moving forward, independent of our sometimes uh, ways in which we derail it. Well, so. I... I don't know where to go because you said you should read from the book and wherever you thank you for yeah. your kindness. Genuinely. That. I, I, but yeah. I will say this. Um, I, I'm just like anyone else. We're all hungry for power. Yeah. I really believe that. And uh, I think what was important in that quote is he talks – here's where I would just want to clarify a little bit in my own mind even in that quote is power independent from God right. gets us in trouble. Okay? We are all given a will. And we all have a level of personal power. What we often might do with that power, and I have this temptation as everyone else, is to try and get my needs or my desires met through someone else with that power. Which is not the way that God builds his kingdom. Hmm. His kingdom is about relationship. And when you start moving to a place of which God has had to convict me, because I can tend to just want to go into this area of, you know, I want to get this goal met, I want to do this or do that, and, um, and I, just, I just have to say, when you start moving into that realm, what, that's great for building, like, m- machines, because parts can be put in to be used to make the product work, and if the part wears out or you wear it out, you just replace it, it doesn't work well. 
in relationships. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And all of us have a measure of power that can be used either independently or dependently with God. God empowers us so that we can use our power for the well-being of others to build a relational kingdom in which there is both love Hmm. and with love there's truth and in all that is incredible power for God to work in people's lives. And Kevin, and if I could just say, you're so right, because when, when you start living the supernatural, natural we, which is what you're describing, we are natural beings, but we live the supernatural life because of the spirit that dwells within the us. When, right. when that starts happening, you begin to bear witness. And, and I think so often about evangelism, I, was, I always understood it to be my ability mm-hmm. to tell the story of Jesus coming in the flesh and dying and raised from the dead, and that's all true. But the early community that was living within Rome where they didn't have social power, Mm-hmm. Um, that early community, it was their lived life together, the natural, supernatural life of the we yep. that was permeated by the love of the kingdom that Rome looked at them and said, who are you people? Right. You are crazy. And But that was what was bearing witness. And then from there, they could say, well, now that we've bear, borne witness in our life together, let me tell you this story. Yeah. Let me tell you the story about the, the God man who came and died and broke yeah. open the power of sin and death. And that's the, yep. the means by which we live. And change your own heart. And permeated into your relationships in your marriage and in your family, where you carry that into all different kinds of places. You know what? Let's just get rid of this. I don't even know where we're at. (laughs) Let's go back to Paisley for a minute. That was a good one. Let's go to. Yeah. (laughs) No, I. Here's the thing. It's so. It's it's God. Okay, we don't want to go with. God in Christ, John, is he gave us the right to become children of God. The word right means both power and authority. It's not up to you to change even you. Amen. It is just for you to say, God, here I am. And when I have these desires that want either for me, like to use someone or to whatever it might be, uh, to, to um, feel self-pity and, and, and to hurt my wife or whatever it might be, you know, Whatever we're doing in relationship, I have the ability to hear the spirit of God in me and I have the right, both the authority and power of God to become like that. Hmm. Folks, we can become like Jesus. We can actually take our independent power that is driven so often by fear like Herod Hmm. to try and, you know, do our self-interest and whatever that might look like. Or we can say, God, I've got a lot of fear around this right now. I need to show up with what I'm feeling and I need to learn how to communicate my own needs with my spouse or my friends or whatever it is so that we can have the kind of connections so that we can release your love through your power hmm. to build a relational kind of kingdom where people go, I am so hungry for that. Yeah. I want that more than the big show. I want that more than my ego being. I want that more than trying to live my whole life. Some, some folks here, you have been living your whole life trying to protect yourself with your power. Now, the reality is... That seems God's, convicting, by the way, over but here. But God gives you... Pardon? <laughs> Just a little convicting of me over here. No, a lot. but God gives you <laughs> that power to give to him so that he can teach yeah. you how to protect yourself. It doesn't mean you don't, but it means you don't do it alone. 
But that takes transformation. That takes time. That's all. Like you said, that's the yeah. waiting part. That's it is. Abraham did screw up. But, you know, God goes, that's okay, Abraham. I still got a plan bigger than you. God has a plan bigger than you. You, if, if you're here this morning and you're on our online congregation and you have never opened your heart to the incredible love and power that is available through Jesus Christ, all you need to say is, I am so helpless and fit. I am vulnerable right now before you. I need you to enter into my life. And guess what? The Holy Spirit will deposit himself into your heart as you trust Jesus for his salvation for you. Now, I, I say that, and I'm getting way off track. We've got just a few minutes. Yeah. Um, I love your off track, by the yeah, way. Yeah, okay. I genuinely do. Oh, uh, boy. So where do we want to go? Hmm. Well, I just, I think as I was listening to you describe what felt entirely on track to me in terms of what's true about kingdom life, uh, my world, as you know, is so often spent with young people in the ages of 18 to 22, um, coming out of Christendom environments, many stripes, many denominations, many places, but a common theme among them, and it's, it's what shows up in the research so often, which is that young people aren't terribly interested anymore in, in attending a church, whatever that looks like. But, but when, you do, when, when, the, when the church is redefined biblically as the people of God who have given their lives to following Jesus, thus... Uh, empowered or energized by the supernatural realm of the spirit, living a life together of love and bearing witness into the world. I mean, that's my best shot at trying to give you a definition of the church from the Bible. It's not a steeple and a sign. I mean, it can include all those things. This is just a building. This isn't a church. The church is meeting right now. Mm-hmm. This is us, right? It's, it's the people of God having surrendered their life to Jesus, living by the power of the spirit, um, energized by that spirit to live in relationships of love that shine a beautiful bearing witness into the yep. world. Um, when you start having that kind of community, I watch young people begin to wake up. Yeah. And I begin to say, that's what I want. Yeah. I, I will say yes to that deal. Yep. And, and then, then you read in the book of Acts and God just kept bringing them. <laughs> just kept bringing them. And they're like, yeah, I don't want to live in this Rome deal anymore. You, yep. My students do not want to live in the culture of the day, but they don't really have much of a choice right, right so now. So I do believe, and it's way, way off track, I do yeah. believe God is reforming the church right now. There's a great reformation that occurred with Martin Luther because things politically as well as printing press was going on. I do believe because of a global world and the way power and everything's changing today, as well as the internet, like a printing press, there's a huge change. What's important that God will bless is a relational community that uses power, their personal power. They're empowered Amen. by God to use their power to serve the well-being of others. Amen. And when that happens, the structures that are right for that will begin to show up. Because we're living in, a, I think, an old wineskin, folks, in if you want to be, I'm just going to say it right up front. If God does something dramatically powerful here, some of you will be so scared, some are going to leave. But if you're, uh, and that's okay too, because people have to just, we say all the time here, we want you to show up with who you are, and if it's not resonant and moving in the direction that we believe the Spirit of God is leading, we get that. We don't, we never want to villainize. I don't want to. I, I did early in my life want to demonize people who didn't agree with me. It's, you know, they just don't agree with me, and maybe God has something else. I don't know. But I just want to say, we want to build that kind of relational community where you learn how to use your personal power in such a way that God empowers you because you've been given the right to become the authority and power to become like Jesus, become the children of God. What an incredible thing. You're God's child. Mm-hmm. We get to live out of his identity. 
So often we do this in a marriage class. We talk about the fact that there's two places you can live in marriage. Overpowering. You use your power to intimidate, to manipulate, to, to threaten, to get whatever you want. Or you move to a place where you're powerless, where you become helpless and hopeless, and you're a victim, and then you use it in a manipulative way, and it's just a big battle. But in that in-between space is a place where you are powerful. Not powerful in and of yourself. You're powerful because you've been empowered with the power that God has given you to be a person who lives out his kingdom. Which means you need to say, God, right now, here's my desire. It's not in line with what I sense you're calling me to do. I want to hate this person. I don't want to forgive. I don't care what it is. But I'm going to use my power, my choice, because of who you are. And you're going to empower me to forgive or to serve or to, or to do. I'm going to, I'll end it on this. Or to do, I just got, I just got. You it, should stand up. But the, the, oh, just, we did. We're, we're, we're back into the notes. I love this. Oh, we're we, back we, into the notes. Yes, okay. it's right there. I just want to share with you a cool story <laughs> of someone who had lots of power and had a very lucrative career. You saw him a few weeks ago. He was up here. Terry Esau was up here with me with with Christy Peel. Remember, we did this thing, and I didn't do the Terry Esau interview introduction like I should have. Um, I didn't know how much to do, but here's something that happened just this last week. Terry, who gave up this career writing jingles and all that would come with it, had a call in his heart from God to take his life and to serve people and to do something that would help kids. And um, this is big. I don't want you to think you've got to give up your career and do this. I'm talking about giving up your your personal desire to to, to powerfully manage your kingdom. Hmm. Okay, so this is a big story. You can do it little ways when you walk out of here, when your husband or your wife hurts you, and you go, you know what, I'm not going to stay offended. That's a choice. So why don't we show it, because it's better, it was on the Kelly, live with Kelly and Ryan show. Kelly's doing it with Mark, her husband. Mark has just shared that he's a bicyclist and he shaves his leg, so that's the story. of our good news and we're meeting an avid cyclist like yourself he's from minneapolis and he's turned his gratitude and passion for the sport into action by giving away listen to this more than 100,000 bikes to kids please welcome terry esau hi terry hi kelly and mark how are you nice to meet you nice to meet you tell us about free bikes for kids Well, Free Bikes for Kids is an organization. We collect bikes from the general public. We organize thousands of volunteers to clean and refurbish them. Then we give them away to under-resourced kids all around the country. What a wonderful idea. How did you come up with that? Well, so my career was in the music business. I wrote and produced music for TV commercials, McDonald's, Pepsi, Harleys, Hondas. But I've always been a, a, a bike guy. Kind of like you, Mark, although yep. I didn't shave my legs. Um, <laughs> um, but then uh, I just saw all these garages filled with little kids' bikes collecting dust. Our kids had outgrown them. So me and my buddy said, hey, let's collect some bikes this December and fix them up and give them to kids in need. And we did 250 bikes. And we all go, that was fun. Let's do it again the next year. And then we did 750. And then it was 1,500. Wow. And then I said, hey, uh, this is this doesn't feel like a hobby anymore. This is starting to feel like a job. So what if we form a nonprofit? I'll go find a corporate sponsor. I did that. And that year we gave away 5,000 bikes. 
And now we're in 15 cities. We've given away 100,000 bikes with the goal of being in 100 cities in the next five years and giving away a million bikes. Wow. Well, Terry, there you are. I, I, I'm off script completely, so I know you, and you didn't start this going, wow, I just want to make this big national, quote, empire of giving away bikes. <laughs> it started with a little voice of God saying, you know what? Use your, your personal power for me. And it, and we, we kind of, you know, someone said, someone said to me once, um, I don't think I could ever die for Christ. And someone I heard said, you know, the only way you learn to die and take the big one someday is when you die the little ones day in and day out. Amen. You don't get to that and you may never get to And that God doesn't, you may not want, God doesn't care about that end. What he cares about is now in the moment, will you live with him? Will you walk with him? What's really cool, Peter, about this story is it um, foreshadows. It's not just a story of some guys who are real wise, who you know bow before a king right. who is to be. It's foreshadowing the fact that every power in the world will one day bow before Jesus. Amen. Right? Well, I think that, I mean, Philippians 2, right? It's like, have this attitude, have this disposition, let your heart be guarded by this, that the same as Christ Jesus, that though he was in very nature God, he didn't consider his equality with God something to be hung on to. Rather, he let it all go, took on, took on the form of a servant, and became obedient to death on the cross, and to your point, and therefore... God exalted him to the highest place, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Thank you, Peter. Yeah. Thank you so I much, I love being Peter. with you guys. Thank I just you. love it. Yep. You guys are great. Yeah, you can clap for him if you want. Thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> did I tell you about some of his achievements? No, I'm just kidding. Anyway. <laughs> you know what? I just... Um, I'm going to ask us to collectively, whether you've never bowed before Jesus before, but even now, um, with your eyes just kind of closed or in a place where your heart is open, where you can let yourself be centered on the Lord Jesus Christ right now, let the Holy Spirit bring up something that you're maybe finding that you have power. Either you don't want to do it, maybe it's forgiving someone, or it's power because maybe God's calling you to open your wallet to give to something. I don't know what it is. Maybe God's calling you um, to start looking at the way you show up in life. Uh, he came to me one day and said, he, he actually put my heart, my, he put me to death in a sense and said this manipulation that you have used throughout as a strategy that you learned as a kid, it's got to stop. I can't use you in my kingdom. And you may be in that place. He's just saying, you know what? Right now, why wait? Why wait till someday bowing? Just really think about it. Why, why wait? Because someday every power will bow. Why not like Jesus now? Let go of the grasping of whatever it is that is in your heart right at this moment and let Jesus take hold of it. For he has given you the right, the power and authority to not just be called children and live in that identity, but power and authority to live in the nature of this God implanted in you. And don't shame yourself if you don't make, you're not doing it right. It's okay. God is willing to allow you to grow. You will become. 
you will become all that he's called you to be. So God, thank you. Holy Spirit, I pray, come into these hearts that are calling to you right now. Empower their their personal power and choice for your kingdom. God, we want to be not some machine. We want to be a relational body of people filled with your love. Using the power that we have for the well-being of those around us. We want to be like you. And we worship you this Christmas. Amen.